Good morning. <laughs> it's working. It's Romans Day again. How's everybody doing? I brought Martin Luther with me. Y'all remember my story about the bobblehead? I got Martin Luther with me. He's ready to go. I'm ready to go. Martin Luther is a dude. What do y'all know about Martin Luther? Anything? Anything? Martin Luther basically tracks 500 years ago with us. Like, anybody here born in the 80s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Martin Luther was born in the 80s, 500 years ago, 1483. Okay, so if you were born in 1983, you were born 500 years after Martin Luther was born. That's pretty cool, right? Um, he went to college in like uh, 1501, right? So if he was there from like 1501 to 1505. So if like the early oddies, 2001 to 2005, you were in college, you kind of track exactly 500 years ago with Martin Luther. The track with some of you, tracks with me. I'm 84, not 83. Okay, so get this. Uh, do we all know basically the outline of Martin Luther's life? Do we have like some like little things in our heads? Yeah. His dad wanted him to become a lawyer. He went to college and studied philosophy instead. Um, he like dropped out. He went back in. He, he, he was a man who cared about truth, and he really wrestled with things. And he wasn't quite sure that being a lawyer was for him. And so, but his dad was really angry, so he's going to go back to law school. And he's on his way to school, and do you know what happens? Do you remember the story? Like, there's a storm. That's right. There's a lightning storm. And lightning strikes, he's like riding his horse, you know, because 500 years ago they did the horse thing, right? He's riding his horse, and lightning strikes a tree by him, knocks him off his horse, and he cries out to, not God, to St. Anna, and says, St. Anna, save me, I'll become a monk. And he makes a vow on the spot to become a monk. And he's a man of tender conscience. So like, now he's super depressed because he's like made this vow and he feels like he can't go back on it. So like he goes and he tells his friends and his family goodbye. I guess I'll never see you again. And he enters a monastery and he becomes a monk and he's super depressed, super discouraged, hates his life. And I mean, hates his life. In 1515, okay, 2015, 500 years ago, uh, they make him a professor of theology. And he begins to teach through the book of Romans. Okay, and this is what happens. Before he taught Romans and came to today's passage, okay? And today's passage is the passage. Before that, this is what he said. He said, I did not see Jesus as the comforter of my soul or my savior, but as my jailer and as the hangman of my soul. He says, and this is a quote, not only did I not love but I actually hated the righteous God who punishes sinners, end quote. So of course they made him a professor of theology at seminary. But he starts teaching through Romans and he comes to today's passage. He's like riddled with guilt. He's tormented. He has no idea what to do with himself or how to deal with God. He's depressed. He's discouraged. He comes to today's passage of scripture and this is what he says, quote, I felt as though I had been reborn altogether and had entered paradise. In the same moment, the face of the whole of Scripture became apparent to me. Today's passage. 
Two years later, in 1517, he walks up to the church door at Wittenberg, nails his 95 theses on the door, and the Reformation begins. Starts here. We're going to find out why. We're going to take it verse by verse. You ready? Martin Luther's ready. All right. Here's the passage. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your constant kindness to us and care for us. Thank you for this church, for its generosity, for its sweetness, for the commitment that we have to one another, for the commitment we have to living life together, to growing, to pushing and challenging each other, to bearing with one another through trials and sufferings and sins and mistakes. Thank you for the work that you've done over the past two years and the work that you're doing now and the work that you're going to do in coming years. Help us to have faith for the work of building your kingdom here in Evansville. Help us to have faith for building your kingdom in southern Indiana, in northern Kentucky, in eastern Illinois, and to the ends of the earth. Give us faith, Father, to build something that outlasts us all, to leave a heritage of godliness for our children's children to the thousandth generation. Be with us now as we study your word. Cause it to work on our hearts. Cause it to transform us and make us new in Christ. Light this church on fire with the power of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the Apostle Paul, he's writing, right? And he is a man on a mission. What's the mission? His mission, his goal is to preach the gospel where it's never been preached before. He wants to go and preach the gospel to everyone. That is his mission. That's his calling. That's what Jesus set him apart to do. He has traveled the entire Mediterranean, lots of it on foot. He's planted churches in major cities along the way, uh, key places, strategic places, right? He loves to go and plant a church in like a key city and install leaders there and say, okay, now your job is to evangelize the surrounding region." and to plant churches in the surrounding region. I'm going to go on to the next city. Okay, so he goes to these big cities. They're port cities. They've got roads. Uh, They have commerce. People are drawn to those cities for reasons, right? So there's a lot of exchange, a lot of opportunity to meet lots of people, and those uh, cities have influence in the surrounding areas. He goes there. He plants churches. He raises up leaders. He says, okay, now, this whole area is Jesus's. Go take it. 
right? That's what Philippi is, that's what Ephesus is, that's what Corinth is, okay? So that's what he does. These places are key, important, strategic cities, regional hubs, much like Evansville. And I know that we can feel a little insecure about that sort of thing and kind of laugh at Evansville. It's kind of Evansville, right? But Evansville is a key, strategic, important, regional hub, okay? We're Oshucks, humble Midwesterners. Maybe we like to think of St. Louis or Louisville or Cincinnati or Nashville or whatever. But the fact is, 1.5 million people look to Evansville for fun and entertainment and for medicine, for work, for everything, okay? We are like that. Uh, there's a reason why the cartels are fighting over Evansville, right? It's a key place. It's a key place. It's an important and strategic regional city. And our hope here at Church of the King is to be like any church in the history of the church in a key regional hub. We want to see Christ's kingdom grow and build out from here. Southern Indiana, Vincennes, Mount Vernon, Owensboro, Henderson, grow. My goodness. All right. All right. So that's the mission. That's the goal. That's the plan. And as that happens, okay, we also want to be positioned to send and support the Apostle Pauls that come through, right? We want to be able to, 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 to send and support the uh, preachers who want to take the, gospels to the, the gospel to the ends of the earth. To do those things, we as a church must be strong. We must be wise. We must grow. We must be faithful to all of Scripture. We have to understand the mission and how to accomplish it. Okay, there are three things in today's passage that the Apostle Paul shows us about his approach to the mission. I want to walk through those three things, okay? And then I want to talk about the message because that's what actually transforms the world, okay? It's not our prayers, it's not our plans, it's not our preaching, it's Jesus, it's the gospel, okay? God uses all of those things, but it is Jesus who changes the world, okay? And that's what I want to end on today. And that is what uh, got Paul fired up and charged up to go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what got Martin Luther fired up to set the world on fire. Fire, I guess, is my analogy for the day. Fire! And that's what, if we truly understand it, will light us on fire for the gospel to see the, the mission of God accomplished in the world, okay? So three things that we see in today's passage. First is pray, okay? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Okay, a couple things. First, about the church in Rome. The church at Rome is awesome. Their faith is famous. Your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Why would their faith be famous? Let's think about it for a minute. Who's the emperor of Rome? Anybody have any idea who the emperor of Rome is at the time of this letter? It's Nero. It's a man named Nero. Do y'all know anything about Nero? He was a, <laughs> he's a bad dude. 
He's a bad dude. Alex said he's the beast. He's right. Um, <clears throat> listen, Nero was a madman, and he persecuted Christians. One thing he liked to do to liven up his parties at night was to take believers, Christians, douse them in oil, and light them on fire to be lamps for his garden parties. That's Nero. You can just like Google Nero madman and just get like lists of horrific, horrific things we can't talk about here. Like, I mean, monstrous things the man was responsible for. He's the emperor in Rome and he hates Christians. And apparently there were members of his household who were Christians. The church at Rome was famous for its faith, for its guts. Paul was still eager to preach the gospel in Rome and then to push past Rome into Spain. So what did he do? He prayed. He prayed that somehow by God's will he might succeed at last in coming to Rome. He wanted to get to Rome. He prayed to God that he would get to Rome to preach the gospel. If we want to see the gospel go out from here, if we want to see God's kingdom grow, we must follow Paul's example. We must pray because it's God who makes it happen. If we want to plant churches, we have to pray and ask God to make the way for that to happen. We have to pray and ask God for the strength and the resources we need for the men, for the leaders, for the opportunities, to make those opportunities clear to give us as a church unity and zeal and excitement about that kind of work. Part of why the Apostle Paul was so effective as a missionary was because he was depending constantly on God to do the work. He was putting himself in God's hands. He was calling on God to use him to fulfill God's own purposes. Jesus, you've said go out into all the world to preach the gospel. Here I am, send me. I'm gonna go. But notice that his prayers aren't just general prayers. He has specific prayers because he has plans. He prays that he would succeed in getting to Rome. He didn't just pray, he planned. He had an idea of what to do. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He prayed and he made plans. He made a lot of plans. He was always plotting and planning where to go next, what to do next. That's the whole point of this letter, actually, right? The whole point of this letter is he's got a plan. Plans get to Spain. To execute the plan, best thing to do is to get to Rome. Need to get to Rome. Want to get to Rome, want to preach the gospel in Rome, want to be sent from Rome to Spain. So I'm writing this letter. That's why we have the letter. He had a plan. He's planning to visit Rome. He hopes to go on to Spain. Why? Because he's under obligation to everyone, he says. To Greeks and barbarians. To the wise and to the foolish. So you have the Jews over here, the Bible nerds, Okay. We got Bible nerds here. Yeah, the Greeks over here. 
sophisticated philosophical types. Got the barbarians, Kentucky fans. That wasn't fair. That was low. That's my father-in-law. It's not fair. But I'm up here and you're down there. Now, here's the point. Jesus is for everyone, even Kentucky fans. <laughs> Scandalizing people over here. Sorry. Kind of. Paul's job was to take Jesus to everyone because Jesus is for everyone. So he made plans. He worked his plans. But here's the thing about his plans. Things often did not work according to his plans. Even though he's the Apostle Paul, and he prayed about it. Y'all know people that think if they just pray about things, God's obligated to do what they say? It's like he's, you know, I've prayed, God must do what I say. This is the Apostle Paul, okay, set apart by Jesus, met Jesus face to face in the road on the way to Damascus. He's praying to get to Rome so he could go on to Spain. He's been prevented thus far. How? By who? Why didn't God answer his prayers? just doesn't work that way. Sometimes the plan is bad. Sometimes the plan is good. But God knows things that we don't know. His ways are not our ways. Paul prayed to get to Rome. He planned to get to Rome. Eventually, God answered Paul's prayer, but not in the way that he prayed. How did Paul get to Rome? In chains. Did he get on to Spain from there? No, he got his head lopped off. He was executed by Nero. Oh no, should we not make plans then if we can't know what's going to happen? No, we make plans. It's faithless to only pray and to never act. Just as it's faithless to act and never pray. And God can do amazing things with our planning. We have the book of Romans. It exists. It exists because of a plan that was never fulfilled. I'm planning to go to Rome and go to Spain. So I wrote the greatest theological treatise in history, the best explanation of the gospel that people will read for 2,000 plus years and be lit on fire by. We pray to align our hearts with God. We ask God to give us what's best. We orient and align our hearts to his word and his mission. We make plans. We work toward what we see. And we trust God to work and to honor that in his way, in his time. I remember Ben's sermon on planning from Proverbs, right? We do our best. Ultimately, our plans are in God's hands. Part of our praying is entrusting our plans to him and being patient and being ready to pivot when we need to and being ready to receive whatever God brings to us. And that's sort of the story of Church of the King so far, right? We set a plan to move here and made it public in February of 2020. Sent out support letters, started making our plans for how we're going to plant and build this church, told our church in Bloomington, and then March 2020 happened. This little thing, you may have heard of it, also happened around that time called COVID. What were we supposed to do with that? Just kept moving forward, that's what. No idea what God was going to do, but believing that he had called us here. We came, we had to pivot, we had to figure things out. Some of you were there for the beginning. 
Started a Bible study in our living room. Started to grow. We're running out of space in my living room. What do we do? Well, another pastor calls and says, hey, why don't you come use our uh, cafeteria and gym space? Right in the nick of time. Okay, cool. Oh, man, we should have a service. We're moving that direction. We're getting ready. Let's make plans. We go out. We investigate different spaces. Uh, We come up with a place that we really love. Uh, We negotiate an agreement. Okay. Uh, We go to sign. They pull the rug out from under us. Oh, yeah. uh, You can only actually have this space for about 50% of the Sundays for the next year. So half the time you're going to have to find an alternate location. Yeah, no, that's not, no. No. We're already like gearing up for a service. We're preparing. We're like trying to figure out music. We bought Cynthia a guitar. She's learning it. She figured it out. I don't know if you noticed. Like, it's like, okay, well, what do we do? On a whim, I'm driving down Oak Grove Road, and I'm like, ah, I guess I'll just stop in the Y. Somebody told me I should before, and I'd sort of ignored it because I didn't have a lot of confidence in the YMCA based on other church plants I know in other communities that have had bad, uh, where the Y's not been especially Christian. So I walk in here, and I meet a guy. It's like a week and a half before Easter. And I walk out, and we got a plan to start a service on Easter. For a fraction of the price of what we were going to pay the other venue. Fraction. So you got your plans, you work your plan, you have no idea what God's going to do. And here we are. At each and every turn, we pray, we plan, we orient our hearts to God, we trust God, we try to align our hearts with what we see in Scripture, and then we are ready to roll with what God brings us. You do that in your homes with your families, right? Dad's job's to provide for and protect your family. You're going to go out, you're going to work, you got to work hard, going to be faithful in your job. Sometimes things happen. All kinds of things like that in our lives. But we pray, we align our hearts with Scripture, we make plans, we trust God, and then we're ready to pivot when we need to. So Church of the King, what's next? Tell you what I'm praying for. I am praying that God establishes this church and that he helps us grow deeper as a family, that he strengthens us, that he strengthens our relationships, that he gives us unity, that he grows our commitment to him and to each other and to his mission, that he raises up leaders in our midst that will be elders and deacons that we trust to lead us moving forward, and that as he does, that he begins to open up doors for us to plant churches in southern Indiana, in northern Kentucky, where they especially need the gospel. I gotta have some dumb jokes, right? Eastern Illinois. I want downtown Evansville. I want a church in downtown Evansville that's committed to reaching the fatherless. I want Vincennes, Owensboro, Henderson. But we have to be wise. We have to prioritize. We need a healthy and strong Church of the King. We need elders and deacons that we all look to and love and trust. 
We need the kinds of men we can look to and say, yeah, I want to be at the church that these men lead. That's where I want to be. That's what I'm praying toward. That's what I want us to be praying toward. That's what I want us to begin thinking about plants for at some point. We prioritize, we pray, we plan, and we preach. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is a preacher. He is a proclaimer of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God, that's why. The power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for you. Romans is a roller coaster. We have started the ascent. I hope we are all in, buckled up, ready to go, because we are just now reaching the peak of the first hill. Okay? And from the peak of the first hill, we can see everything. It's all here in this one phrase. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is all there, the whole gospel, in those words. The rest of the book of Romans is an explanation of that one sentence. We're going to get to chapter 10. He's still going to be explaining this sentence. Why is it he's a preacher of the gospel? Why is he not ashamed of it? What is it? How does it work? Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? He's still making the argument. Why am I not ashamed of the gospel? Why am I eager to preach it? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And faith comes by hearing. So somebody's got to be sent. The gospel begins and ends in faith. How do you get faith? By hearing the word. So that's the job, to preach the gospel without fear and without shame. To preach it, to proclaim it. Not to suggest it, not to share it, but to proclaim it. Because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone. What's the gospel? It's the rest of Romans. So let's take it from the top of the roller coaster before we plunge down the first slope. If the gospel is the good news of salvation, what's the first question we should have? Salvation from what? What do we need to be saved from? If the gospel is good news, we must need to need good news. So what's What's the bad news? If we need good news, there must be bad news. If we need salvation, we got to be saved from something. Well, that's what comes next. The next three chapters are just, this is what you need to be saved from. It's a three-chapter explanation of the sin and evil in the world today on every possible level. On a global macro level, on an individual personal level. Chapter one, the rest of chapter one, the world has rejected God. 
It's exchanged its truth for a lie, and as a result, it's been plunged into moral chaos and ruin of all kinds. Everyone knows that God is God. Everyone knows deep down that we answer to him. Nobody cares, and that's why there is moral ruin around us today. It's next week. Chapter two. Oh, but I grew up in church with the Bible in my hand. Well, guess what that does? You live it perfectly? No? It makes you a hypocrite. It makes you more culpable. It's chapter two. Chapter three. Yes, that's right, everybody. Everyone. Without exception. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're coming from. Jew, Gentile, wise, foolish. Everybody's cornered. You're not righteous. You're a sinner. You deserve the wrath of the wrath of the wrath of God. Who do we need to be saved from? It's from God. That's who. We're in a corner. Who can save us from God? Only God. Only God. The good news is that Jesus came to save sinners. We're all sinners. We're all in the corner. Three chapters of getting boxed into the corner, having our legs cut out from underneath us so that we can learn Jesus came to save sinners. We can learn that the love of God made a way to appease the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. How do, we, how do we do it? We have to be righteous. God is holy. We have to be and become righteous, and we're not. We're sinners. What do we do? How do we receive God's right? How do we, what, what, how, is there anything we can do? There's nothing we can do. We're in a corner. But God sent his son to live a perfect life, to be born as a man, and to live a perfectly righteous life on our behalf. And to die in our place on the cross and to bear our punishment, the wrath of God, on himself. He hung on the cross. He bore the wrath of God. He was buried in the tomb. He was raised from the dead three days later. And he bears our sin. He takes our punishment. And we take his righteousness and his perfect life. He gets your sin, you get his righteousness. He gets your punishment, you get his reward. He bears God's wrath, you become God's son. How? By faith alone. There's nothing you can do. There's no work you can do. There's nothing. But you can lay hold of Jesus by faith. If you lay hold of him by faith, if you believe, if you trust in him, his righteousness for your sin. It's chapters four and five. Chapter six and seven, okay, so what comes next? Then what? Do we just live in our sin? No, you put your sin to death. Before Jesus, you were a slave to sin. Now it's time to become a slave to righteousness. Before you were a slave to your lusts and passions. Now it's time to have your desires align with him. Oh man, that feels impossible. I feel this war within me. Yeah, it's a fight. That's why he gives you his spirit, to put to death your sin. How? By faith. So we put it all together in chapter 8. Jesus died to free us from the guilt of sin and its condemnation. Jesus died to free us from the power of sin and its reign in our life. And Jesus died to free us from the presence of sin at all, ever. And it's all by faith. 
It's all part of God's perfect design. This is the good news. This is the news that we have for the world. We all feel it. Everybody knows and feels that they've fallen short. What do we do? God has made a way. We come to Jesus by faith. Romans 9 to 11, well, why isn't everybody saved? How does it work? Romans 12 to 16, okay, what does the Christian life actually look like? It's all in Romans. This is the power of God for salvation. For freedom from sin's guilt and condemnation, freedom from its power and reign in our lives, freedom from its presence when we're united to Jesus forever and eternity. And it's all by faith. It's all a gift. It's nothing that we can do to earn it or deserve it. That's where we're going, okay? Top of the roller coaster. Next week, we begin to explore the depths of sin to really begin to feel why we need a Savior. It'll be beautiful. It'll be challenging. It'll be intense. It will explain the world. It'll explain the world to us. It'll make sense of a whole lot of things. It'll explain your heart to you. Explain yourself to you. So what's the work today? Today the work is come to Jesus. Embrace him with all your heart by faith. And know the power of God. And then get to work. Because the whole world needs to hear. Pray for it. Make plans for it. Preach it. Let's pray now. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die for our sins and to bear the punishment that we could not bear. Help us, Father, as we move from here to have faith for the work of preaching your gospel without fear, without shame. Help us to be bold in our plans and in our prayers. Help us as a church to orient our hearts to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.